Well, good morning, church. All those here in our celebration service, I got to spend just a moment or two over in our summit service a moment ago, and a great crowd there this morning. So exciting to know that the students are coming back, a few of them here now, and more coming in in the next uh, few weeks. I want to welcome those that are watching online and our broadcast. I'm excited about what the Lord has given us to study today. If you'll turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 18, and while you're turning there, I want to begin with a pretty deep question. We generally try to start off lighthearted, a little bit at least, in our messages, and then we get into the deep waters as we go, we'll turn it around a little bit today. I want to start with a difficult question, a probing question, and then I think at the end of this, uh, well, I think God's Word's going to encourage the socks off of you. This is such good news. So here, though, is the deep question. Could it be that much of the guilt that we experience in life that much of the guilt that we feel in life is not guilt, it's really pride. Could it be that some of the things that we feel guilty about, we're not guilty, but in our feelings of guilt, we are now guilty of pride? There's another way to ask this. What kind of things do you most often feel guilty about? What are the things that cause you to feel guilty? Uh, for me, for sure, I feel guilty for sin, real sin. Careless words or a bad attitude or poor choices. And I'm guilty of those things and feel guilty of those things. But the things that most often cause me to feel guilt are in a very different category. And maybe for me and maybe for you, we shouldn't so much feel guilty for those things, and in fact, the guilt that we do feel, perhaps it is pride. Now, have I thoroughly confused you? Uh, let's, let's look into the scripture, and, and we'll come back to that question. So Matthew chapter 18, let's begin with verse 1. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, what do you think about this question that the disciples ask? Who is the greatest? And you know, when they ask the question, who is the greatest, they're really asking, am I the greatest? Or what do I need to do to be the greatest? Was it wrong for them to ask that question? Is it wrong for them to desire to be the greatest? Well, I don't think it's wrong just in and of itself. In fact, Jesus talks often about the greatest uh, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest person ever born of a woman. That's high praise. Uh, Jesus, down in verse 4, that we'll read in a moment, gives some instructions for how to be the greatest. And the New Testament, on two or three different occasions, commends ambition. And so it's not a bad question, uh, even though it may have been motivated from uh, a less than pure heart. But let's look at Jesus' answer. Verse 2 says he called a small child and had him stand among them. And so there's a child, small, young, old enough to stand, but a young child. Verse 3, truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, 
you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty heavy statement all by itself. He says, unless you will be like this little child, you won't even, you when I ask about greatness in the kingdom of heaven, I'm telling you, if you're not like this little child, you won't even be in the kingdom of heaven. So what does he mean when he says we should be like a little child? Well, he explains it in the next verse. Verse 4, therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus, what about this child, what about children impresses Jesus? Jesus said, if you'll be like this child, then you will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what was so impressive about this child or, or children in general? Well, he tells us there, because children are humble. Children are humble. Now, if you have children, you may be thinking <laughs> that they're not. But hang on, I'm going to explain that uh, disparity in a moment. Uh, but Jesus is saying here, if you want to be great, you must be humble like a child. Childlike humility is the requirement to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what then is this humility, childlike humility, and what in the world does that have to do with being great? Well, we know, we all know that humility is an attitude, if you have a humble attitude, and we know it's a lowly attitude. Uh, in fact, the Greek word here, uh, the literal meaning is to be close to the ground. It means to lower yourself. It's an attitude, a humble attitude. So why should we have this low, humble attitude? Well, often when people answer that question, they get it wrong. So I want you to answer it just in your head. Why should we be humble? Why should you be humble? Why should I be humble? Why is this such an important thing? Now, most people would answer the question like this. We should be humble because we're guilty of sin. I'm guilty of sin. God is holy. God expects me to be holy as God is holy. I have fallen short. I have failed. I have sinned. And so I should be humble. I should come humbly before the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm unworthy. And Lord, I'm guilty of sin. And were it not for the blood of Christ, there would be no hope for me that we should be humble because of our sin. And that is the churchy answer. But that answer is completely wrong. Now, you might be thinking, well, I was taught that in vacation Bible school 150 years ago. Well, you were taught incorrectly. You might be thinking, Pastor, there are all kinds of verses in the Bible that connect humility to sin. Wrong. There aren't any verses that connect humility to sin. We are not to be humble because we sin. And if you want the, the easiest proof for that, and, and there are a lot of ways that, that we could demonstrate that, but the easiest proof is this. Who was the most humble person who's ever lived? Jesus, right? The Bible says that multiple times, that Jesus was humble. And his humility was the greatest humility, if you can say it that way. He was the most humble person who's ever lived. And Jesus certainly was not humble because of sin. Jesus never sinned. 
And so we see from this that even if we had lived a perfect, sinless life, there would still be reason to be humble. Humility is not motivated by sin, not biblical, true biblical humility. So what is humility then? If it's not, I'm sorry for my sin, if it's not contrition, what is humility and why should we be humble? Well, here's the definition. Humility is recognizing that we are completely dependent upon God. Humility is recognizing that that were it not for God, there wouldn't be a me, or even if there were a me, I wouldn't be a me for very long, okay? I am 100% completely dependent upon God. I am a creature. Uh, Do you know what the word creature means? It sounds very much like another word. That'll give you a hint. It sounds like creation, right? A creature is someone who has been created, created by God. I'm a creature. Even my existence is is dependent upon God. I'm dependent upon God for my life. I'm dependent upon God for my very next breath. I'm dependent upon God for the bodily health necessary to do the things that are before me. We are dependent upon God for a mind sharp enough to think and speak and solve problems. We're dependent upon God for our salvation, for our eternal life. We're dependent on God for everything. So Jesus says to be humble like a child. Now, He doesn't say to have the same attitude that a child has because children can have an independent streak, right? Uh, Just like adults. But Jesus is instructing them, he's instructing us to recognize that we are dependent like a child is dependent. That child is dependent upon his or her parents whether the child recognizes that or not. Children are helpless. They're helpless. Have you ever wondered, these are the kind of things preachers sit around and think about. Have you ever wondered why a baby horse can get up on all four legs and trot within one hour of birth, but it takes a kid over a year to trot on just two legs? And that baby horse that was trotting in one hour received no encouragement, no instruction, and he was not coddled by his grandparents. (laughs) Yet the smartest, most pampered human takes over a year to learn to trot. I did the math. A horse is a 876,000% faster learner than the smartest kid. (laughs) Why did God do it that way? Perhaps God is trying to teach us something about dependence. Uh, We have these children, those uh, families uh, that have children, and we get this incredibly clear object lesson that that life is completely dependent upon mom and dad. And that is a picture of how completely dependent we are throughout our lives, how dependent we are on the Lord. 
A one-year-old child can't feed himself, understand his surroundings, evade danger, survive cold weather, clean his bottom, or communicate. He needs mom and dad. So when Jesus says the key to greatness is that we are humble like a child, he's saying that we should recognize just how desperate we are for the Lord and his watch care and his provision. So now that we see the true meaning of humility, it's not contrition over sin. That's a thing. It's just not humility. Now that we understand that humility is dependence, what is the opposite of humility? Now, you're going to have to really focus on this message. I've rewritten it three times to try to make it make some logical sense. But we're going to follow some uh, what will seem like rabbit trails here. But now that we understand what humility is, what is the opposite of humility? Pride. Pride is the ob opposite of humility. If we think we are in control of our own world, if we think we can do it alone, if we think that we are the captain of our own kingdom, that is the opposite of humility, and the Bible calls that pride. Pride. Now, we'll go back to the very first question. Could it be that much of what we see, what we experience as guilt in our lives, is not guilt for sin, it's really pride. Now, let me use myself as an illustration for this. Confession time. I'm a big fan of John Adams. Uh, John Adams, the second president of the United States. I'm, I'm not such a fan of his being president. Uh, he wasn't a great president. But I loved, I loved the things that he did from like 1765 through 1776. Uh, he was an extraordinary man, and he is uh, a big part of why our country is what our country is today. And early in 1776, he wrote a letter to his wife, Abigail, and I want to read you a line from that letter. He said, lately I find that I reek of discontentment. It fills my throat. It floods my brain. Do you ever... You ever feel that way? Uh, I feel that way often. I set some pretty lofty goals. I set quarterly goals, annual goals, life goals. I set some lofty goals, and then I feel terribly guilty that I don't meet many of those goals. I make a long task list every single morning and then I go to bed at night feeling guilty for the things that haven't been done on that list. I feel guilty that I don't read more books. I feel guilty that I don't exercise more minutes. I feel guilty that I don't spend more time with my family. I feel guilty that I don't spend more time with my friends. I feel guilty that I'm not a better pastor. I feel guilty that I'm not a better preacher. I feel guilty that I don't accomplish what some of my peers accomplish. I feel guilty that I don't write more. I feel guilty that I don't pray more. I feel guilty uh, that I'm not as smart as other people I know when it comes to the Bible. I feel guilty that I cannot get my adult kids to think like I think. <laughs> so here's what the Lord is showing me through what the Bible teaches about humility. Much of that guilt for me 
It's not guilt, it's pride. Many of the things that I feel guilty for are not sins. They're not things that God has told me to do and I've failed to be obedient to the Lord. They're things that I've thought of, that I have set before me, expectations that I have made because I so often think that I am in control of my world and I am the master of my domain and I can do whatever I want to do and I can succeed at whatever I want to succeed in. And I just, listen, I'll be honest, I'm just filled with pride and arrogance. And so I set these goals and I make these task lists and then I come up short and I feel guilty about it. But it's not guilt, it's pride. It's pride. Does that make sense? It is pride when I think I can be the best at everything if I'll just work a little bit harder. It's pride when I think I don't have any limits. It's pride when I think I'm in complete control of my world. It's pride when I, when I think that if I just stayed more focused, if I just worked more hours, if I just became more productive, if I would eat that frog with Brian Tracy, you may not know these references, but if I would complete more Pomodoros, if I would work in Eisenhower's Quadrant 2, if I would budget my time with the Pareto Principle, if I would do more Cal Newport deep work, and if you don't know what those things are, that's probably a good thing. If I could just do it better, then I could do anything, and I could do everything. And so I feel guilty when I do less than everything. It's pride to think that if I don't have perfect success, perfect kids, and make a, an amazing impact on my world every day, that's simply because I, don't, I haven't tried hard enough. You, you, you see how I see that as guilt? I didn't try hard enough. But, but the truth is, it's not guilt, it's pride. I should never think I am the master of my domain. I can't do everything. I, I have limits that God has put in my life. To be humble is to recognize that I'm a creature and I'm completely dependent upon the Lord. The Lord has created me and he has created you with limits. God could have made me smarter. God could have made me think faster. God could have made me better at remembering things. God could have made me a better communicator. God could have made me a superhero, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, right? But he didn't. He didn't. So when I feel guilty for not being Superman, that's not guilt, that's pride. True humility um, recognizes that there are limits. Um, some of my limits, of course, are the result of the curse, the fall of man. Some of my limits are the result of my personal sin. But some of the limits that we have, it's because God created us that way. Adam and Eve had limits long before they sinned. True humility recognizes that. True humility recognizes that I cannot be the best at everything. True humility recognizes that God gave me gifts and abilities to do some things, and that's all the things that I need to do. Now, I need to do those things with excellence. I believe in hard work. But who do I think I am? I'm a creature. 
True humility recognizes that it's okay if our associate pastor, Mark McClendon, is better at uh, sitting down with somebody one-on-one and encouraging them in their faith. True humility accepts that it's okay that he's better at that than I am. That's okay. God made him like that. True humility recognizes uh, that uh, it's okay that Grant, um, our summit pastor, is, is so much better at inviting people in the community to come to church without making them feel creepy. Uh, He is so much better at that than I am. And that's okay. Uh, True humility is recognizing that Tom, uh, our worship and administration pastor, that Tom is much better at actually executing a plan than I am. And that's okay. This is all part of being a creature and reveling in how much I am dependent on the Lord. Now, I want to go back to verse 4. It says, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And we understand that, that humility is recognizing our dependence on the Lord for everything and recognizing that apart from the Lord, we are helpless. Church, if we can learn to be humble... If we can learn that we are dependent, that we are truly creatures, I believe that much of the stress and anxiety that we experience will just melt away. I think for me, and perhaps this is not so much you coming to church as you just watching me work some things out in front of you, but, but I think for me that, that so much of the guilt and the anxiety and the stress is caused by my pride that I think I can be the best at everything. And then I fall so woefully short. And then I, I feel that is guilt without, instead of celebrating the limits that God has placed. I love what Jesus said, Matthew 11. I read this often to you. But listen to this. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Does that sound like your Christian faith? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. There, Jesus is humble. And you there will find what? Rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The problem is that that's not a very good description of my Christian faith often. Because my Christian faith so often is about guilt and anxiety and stress and I got to do more and be more and other people are doing more than I'm doing and, and they're better than, I'm, I, 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 th- th- than I am. And, and I feel this guilt when Jesus says, no, come to me and find rest, find rest. So how can we be humble? Now, you got some outline points there in your, in your bulletin. I'm not going to give you any blanks and I know that will create some stress and you'll feel guilty about that. <laughs> But as I said, I've rewritten this message three times to try to make it make a little bit more sense. And uh, so I'm going to show you from Scripture how to be humble. I'm going to hit one little thing this week, and then we're going to come back next week, and I'm going to finish it up. So the first thing, we must say to ourselves, uh, I love Psalm 103, by the way, uh, because there the psalmist talks to himself. 
and he reminds himself of the goodness of God. Uh, go read Psalm 103. Well, I, I want to tell you to talk to yourself. And when you need to say to yourself, self, you are limited and needy. Listen to that. You are limited and you are needy. There are a lot of people out there. I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of people out there that are a whole lot smarter than you are. Did you know that? I wonder if you've seen the Oppenheimer movie. Uh, it is not family friendly, and so it's not recommended by your pastor, but I did go see it. Uh, if you've seen it, or if you just know your history, you'll know the name Edward Teller. Do you know that name? Uh, father of the fusion bomb. Uh, I've had lunch with Edward Teller two times. That's my only claim to fame in life. Uh, when I had lunch with him both times, he was working on Ronald Reagan's Star Wars initiative. Now, let me tell you something about Edward Teller. Smarter than all of us put together. Now, did God mess up? Did God drop the ball when he didn't make me as smart as Edward Teller? No. God put different things in me. God used some different ingredients. God, God crafted me just like he wanted to craft me. And he, he gave Edward Teller some things that he didn't give me. I can't think of anything he gave me that he didn't give Edward Teller. I don't know. But do you know the name Charles Spurgeon, Baptist preacher, um, in the late 1800s in England. Uh, he suffered from depression, by the way, uh, throughout most of his life that was so debilitating that sometimes the men in his church would have to literally pick him up and take him to the pulpit so he could preach. Yet, Charles Spurgeon preached 10 different sermons a week. He read six books per week he pastored the largest church in history at the time. Uh, he founded and was president of a Bible college. He founded and was the leader of an orphanage. He wrote 140 books, edited a monthly magazine, responded to 500 letters per week. He was a good husband and a successful father. And he did all of that without a computer, without a cell phone, a microwave, or a car. So somebody told me one time I ought to read Spurgeon's biography because it would encourage me. It didn't. Okay. <laughs> it made me feel like an, and we laugh, I'm serious, it made me feel like an abject failure. Now, did God mess me up? Did God mess up when he did not give me the capacity of Charles Spurgeon? Oh, God created me just like he meant to create me. What if, church, listen, what if we looked for ways to praise God for our limits rather than always trying to conquer them? Now, I believe in hard work and I believe in excellence, no question. But I wonder if our focus is wrong 
And that is some of the reason we have such stress and anxiety and guilt. Uh, the advice of the world, and I read all of those uh, how to be productive books. I think that's uh, probably one of the worst things I've ever done. Um, the advice of the world is this. I, that you ought to wake up in the morning and you ought to tell yourself these things. I can do anything. I can achieve it all. I am in control. I am the king of my domain and nothing will stand in my way. But what if we got up in the morning and we had a different mantra? What if we got up in the morning and we said, I am totally dependent upon God. I would, I would not be anything apart from the Lord. God has gifted me perfectly to do the things that he wants me to do, and that's all. I will be faithful to do that today, and I will trust the Lord with the limitations. The Lord is the king of my domain. I uh, read a book by Philip Yancey. I don't know if you know that name or not, a um, Christian living writer. And, and he, he asked this question, how much better would we be if we focus more on being humble and thankful than being productive and efficient. Listen to this. How much better would we be if we focus more on being humble, God, I'm dependent upon you, and thankful, God, thank you for what you've done for me, as opposed to just focusing on being productive and efficient. Listen to how, that's how uh, Philip Yancey said it. You don't care about Philip Yancey. How did Jesus say it? Listen to this, Matthew 6, 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be provided for you. Listen, I'm all for being your best. I'm all for starting early in the morning. I'm all for working hard, going home tired in the afternoons, in the evenings. I'm all for doing whatever it takes. But the Lord said that my focus, my, my drive should be to seek the kingdom of God. And then God will add those other things. And when I go to bed and put my head on the pillow at night filled with guilt because there are nine things on my task list that I didn't get done. Oftentimes, that's just my pride, thinking I'm in control of my world. When I, uh, when I should recognize that God has given some limits and those are to be celebrated. Let me give you one more verse and I'll close with this. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let me read that again. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before the Lord. We, we've talked about humility. To humble yourself means to what? To recognize, to embrace that we are dependent. We're dependent on God for everything. Lord, give me my daily bread. We're dependent. You won't get home today without the Lord. You won't, your heart won't beat another, another beat without the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Recognize your dependence. And then what will he do? Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you.
See, we, we've written our own, our own proverb for James. Exalt yourself and then pretend to be humble. Exalt yourself. Seek first the things of the world and the spiritual things will take care of themselves. See, we've turned those two things around. As I said, I, you're probably just watching me preach to myself today, but I think so much of the guilt and the anxiety and the stress that we experience is not because of sin. We sin. We sin. But much of the guilt, the stress, and the anxiety is not the result of sin. It's the result of us thinking too much of ourselves. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let me give you two parts to that. If you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, it starts with humbling yourself and saying, my only hope to ever be right with God is what Jesus has done for me. And I trust what Jesus has done, and I submit to Jesus's uh, leadership in my life. I surrender to him. We humble ourselves, humble ourselves before the Lord. And the Bible says that God will uh, adopt us into his family and embrace us in his arms. If you've never trusted Christ, would you now pray a prayer and embrace this prayer? Lord, I know I'm guilty for, of sin, there's nothing I can do to change my past or really even the future with respect to sin. So I humbly accept what Christ has done for me. And I trust it. It's enough. I surrender to him. I ask you to forgive me. So that's what it means to humble yourself if you don't know Christ. So what does it mean to humble yourself if you do? It's to say this. It all comes down to this that we say a prayer that says, Father, I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to work hard. I'm willing to press on. But my exaltation, my promotion, my success, that's up to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. Head bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, forgive us for our guilt. Forgive us for thinking that we can do everything and anything and that if we just try hard enough, work hard enough, we're smart enough, strong enough. Father, that's just pride. It's a wonderful thing that you've created us limited. It's a wonderful thing that we're creatures because because, Father, that's, that's a reason for us to celebrate our connection with you. So, Father, help us to humble ourselves before you. Let this guilt fall away. Father, let us trust you to exalt us in due time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In both services, let's stand and sing and you respond to the Lord as we do so.